Good morning, everybody. Wave at me. You guys good? You guys good? Man, Bethany just gave a fire hydrant of information about atmosphere. It was so good. Uh, Incredible. We are deeply passionate, deeply excited about Atmosphere Conference. Um, I wanted to just take it from a different angle. I won't repeat what she said, but um, I want to get you involved and and galvanized in being a part of this conference, not just because it's going to be incredible and fun and uplifting and encouraging and all of that, but guys, this is like the beginning of a snowball of multiplication, discipleship, and church planting that we're a part of. Uh, Being a part of Joy Churches, our vision is to plant churches that multiply. One of the things that we talked about last week is we, we talk about our, our church, Joy Eugene, planting uh, Joy Church Salem, is that in the United States of America right now, about 7,000 churches a year close and about 4,000 are born. And I'm not that good at math, but I know that's, uh, that's a pretty big difference. And so we need to see uh, an advancement of the gospel in church planting, in discipleship, and in multiplying groups, multiplying impact and ministry. And that's not someone else's job. If you are a card-carrying Christian, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you and me are assigned and commissioned by Jesus Christ, the the head of the church, our master, right, our Savior, our Lord, who said, go into all the world and make disciples. And so when we talk about Atmosphere Conference, I want to remind us that we are not a church of spectators, we're a church of participants. Uh, We are a church of people who are all in, who are involved, who aren't just watching sort of uh, the things going on around us as passive observers and going, you know, gee golly, aw shucks, ain't it, it's too bad that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. No, we don't ignore the problem once more into the fray. Like we are here to make a difference in the world. Amen? And God has called you, and we're going to talk about this today, God's called you to make a difference. And so with Atmosphere Conference, here's what I believe. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be fun. It's going to be enjoyable. We're going to party. We're going to fellowship with other believers from Joy Churches and get to know our sister churches uh, a little bit better. But there's going to be a prophetic mark and moment on your life, on your family's life, on your kid's life. One of the things that I'll tell you is that we are not taking the adult side of the conference uh, and going, man, let's have this awesome conference and then we'll put the kids in a room and they can kind of hang out and wait for the adults to be done. If anything, it's the opposite, okay? We're actually saying, no, we want to invest in these kids. Uh, the team, Pastor Becca and the team are investing in the kids to provide an engaging and awesome conference for the kids. Why? Because we believe they're called to live on mission, right? They're made for a purpose and on purpose. And, uh, and so we're investing in the kids. So man, even if you're kind of like, I don't know, I was thinking about, like Bethany said in first service, going to my Aunt Bertha's 105th birthday or something. If she made it this far, she's going to make it to the next one, right? <laughs> uh, make a commitment, be a part of atmosphere, and participate because God is doing incredible things through our church and our network of churches, our family of churches, uh, that's leading to the, the changing the world and changing uh, the narrative here in the United States. Um, I'm passionate about this. You guys, when I think about church growth, when I think about reaching our city, My eyes are not just locked in on Eugene and Springfield and Lane County. I'm thinking about every state in our nation that needs a church from here, a church planner to go, I hear the call of God. I'm going, I'm going. Lord, who shall, the Lord is saying, who shall I send? And you're saying, I want to go. I want to be a person that lets God get something to me and through me in my life. Amen. And so we're, as a church, we're not just about growth and addition. We're about multiplication. Amen. All right. All right. I'm going to preach. I'm going to do it. All right. You guys, today we're continuing in our series, Three Hots in a Cot. We're talking about the prison epistles that were written from the Apostle Paul while he was in prison from uh, about AD 60 to 62, sometime in that period of time. And the Apostle Paul did not let his circumstances stop his calling. 
He was called of God to be an apostle, which is someone who sends and plants. And uh, he was called to preach the gospel and start churches. And even though his circumstances found him in prison for the gospel, he didn't let that stop him from continuing to engage in his God-given mission and calling. And so he wrote these prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. The word epistle just means a letter. These are letter, letters to these churches or these regions uh, for the Christians that were there. And Paul wrote some incredible things. And in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 1 and look at this today. He says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. We're going to unpack this today. Paul starts by saying that he is a prisoner for serving the Lord. Now, Paul uses this phrase various times in the book of Ephesians, or a, a phrase like this phrase. He uses this phrase throughout the New Testament, words it different ways. And I actually learned as I was studying this that Paul is actually in the original language using a double entendre. I had to look up what the word entendre meant to be able to share it with you today. Uh, and so this double entendre is a double meaning here. That's a joke. I actually knew what it meant before, but you didn't laugh. So now I had to tell you that I wasn't a dumb dumb. Okay. Uh, at least not for that reason. Paul is saying, hey, I'm literally in jail. Right? I'm a prisoner, and I'm in prison because of what I have did for Jesus. But the double entendre part is he's actually saying, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm captive to the call of God in me. He says this in another way, uh, calls it in another book, I think in Philippians, the upward uh, call of God in Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that my body is in prison, but my actual allegiance, my actual affection, my actual attention my, the, what captivates me is not the circumstance, it's my Savior. I'm a, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you right now, when you're a Christian, when you're a disciple, somebody can put your body in jail, but they can't put your spirit in jail because your spirit belongs to the Savior. Come on. We got a lot of people in our culture that are anxious, that are worried, that are bummed out, that are discouraged. And you go, yeah, we call that Monday morning. Come on. And yeah, I love to go get an espresso like everybody else. But let me tell you right now, what wakes me up in the morning is not the, the satisfaction of my fleshly desires or, or making more money or whatever. What wakes me up is that I have heavenly purpose and calling because I'm saved and I'm sanctified and I was bought with a price by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm captivated as a disciple. And when I wake up in the morning, I want to give hell, hell every single day and bring heaven to earth. Come on. I want to wake up every day and say, God, if you got the gospel to me, you can get it through me. And so what Paul is saying here is I didn't come here to play games. He says, I'm, a, I'm in prison for the gospel, but that is secondary to the captivation that I am in Christ. That I've been captivated by this message. I've been captivated by this Savior. I can't get enough of Jesus. I'm not halfway. I'm all the way in. Come on, somebody. This is a picture of what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Not half in, half out. Well, I'm here at church when it suits me, when I like what's going on. And if Pastor Jake wears the shirt that I want him to wear, or they sang the song that I wanted to sing, or if I wasn't scheduled in nursery, then I'll come to church on Sunday. No, like this is what we do. Come on. This is who we are because we're captivated by the call of Christ. We're not halfway in. That's why I say at Joy Church, what distinguishes us is that we're not spectators, we're participants. I was reading an article recently by a missiologist and a great scholar, a great man of God named Ed Stetzer. He's talking about church growth and studying the, the movements of 
what churches are growing and so on and so forth in North America. And, and the church, the, 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 the tradition or the theological camp, kind of church camp that's growing is the charismatic Pentecostal movement. And in, in case you're like under any um, false uh, auspices, like I am a charismatic. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. I want you to be speaking in, in your heavenly language and letting the Holy Spirit pray through. I want you to begin to prophesy and let God use you. Now, we're not crazy charismatic. We don't throw away the Bible and go, let's just throw away truth and doctrine. No, we love theology. We love doctrine. And that's what anchors us to the person of Jesus Christ. But what I know is that just having knowledge isn't enough to blow the fuzz off a peach. We also have to have the supernatural dunamis power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ himself talked about in the Bible in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, where he said, the Spirit will come upon you. I'm just going to preach today. You good? You good? Okay. And make you, give you the power, give you boldness to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And so we believe in spirit power. Ed Stetzer was saying the church that's growing is the charismatic Pentecostal church. And he said there's many reasons why. But one of them is this, that charismatics kind of believe like what the early church believed, which was that you're either in or you're out and you don't play games. Recently, when I was talking to a, a guy that I've been uh, leading to Jesus and discipling, and he wasn't a Christian at this point. He is now, praise God. But uh, I was talking to him, and I said, he was asking me questions, and I said, listen, I just want you to know, everything I say is going to have the Jesus thing at the core. Because I'm not like a wise person, and now I bring Jesus into the conversation. Everything I have, everything I am, and anything good I say is from Jesus Christ, and that's what I want to give you. And he's like, cool, I can, I can handle that. So I gave him my advice. But what I was explaining to him is I said, look, there's different kinds of Christians. And we all know this is true. You've got some types of Christians who, you know, they're kind of like Christian light. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I want to go to heaven when I die. And there's that kind of thing. And then you've got people like me. I'm like all Christian. Now, does that mean I'm perfect and do everything right? No, I just like, this is who I am. How many of you are like this, right? When I read the Bible, I don't go, ah, oh, it's some like good philosophy. I'm like, I need to do this. I need to obey this. It's not just about knowing and believing. It's about being all in. We've covered five words so far, six words here in this verse. Paul says, I'm captivated. It's about being all in. Now, he starts with the word therefore. And in, in Scripture, when you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. And what Paul is talking about here the foundation or the basis by which he is using this passionate language. I beg you, I beg you to live a life, to lead a life worthy of your calling. He says, therefore, we have to look back into the previous chapter. So what was he talking about in these past three chapters? All of Ephesians 1 through 3 is talking about the, the revelation of Christ, the reality of the gospel, and what that means for us. And if you weren't here for the messages where we covered the first three chapters, you can go back and watch those on YouTube. Or even better, you can go to the source and read Ephesians 1 through 3 and listen to the rich, incredible description of the real gospel that the Apostle Paul gives us. It's masterfully done. But to sum it up, the, the truth of the gospel that, that we've heard about in chapters 1 through 3 is that we have been given freedom by Christ. Come on. That we were slaves of sin. We were slaves to the devil. The spiritual forces of darkness had a bounty on your soul, on your spirit. You owed them because you had played, played games in our sin. We got entangled with the forces of darkness and the enemies of God, and we became enemies of God. And the work of Jesus at the cross 
was to set us free from that allegiance and, and, and pull us out of that he ransomed us. Come on, we're free. So the next time that anxiety, worry, fear, depression, addiction, bondages, bad thought patterns, when those things come upon you, you need to say, no, that's not my inheritance. I'm free because I belong to Jesus Christ. He ransomed me. You need to tell the forces of hell to listen to the sound of the nails that went into the arms and the feet of Jesus Christ where his blood was shed to pay for your freedom. The gospel is not just to get you into heaven when you die. He sets you free today. It's a, it's, a, it's a martial thing. It's a warfare thing. You've been ransomed out of the enemy's camp. You're brought into freedom. The second thing that Paul teaches us in, in Ephesians 1 through 3 about the gospel is that we're forgiven by God. Praise God, our relationship with God is restored. Our sins are forgiven. Because God just made them go away? No, because the blood of Jesus paid the price. So you're forgiven and you're made right with God. And third, that we are brought into the family of God. So if you want to have three words that give you a good depiction of the fully orbed gospel, it's this, freedom, forgiveness, and family. What is the gospel? I was set free, I was forgiven, and I was brought into the family of God. And so Paul says, because of that, because of freedom, because of forgiveness, because of family, now lead a life. I beg you, he says, to lead a life worthy of our calling. This is his charge. Now what's interesting here is Paul doesn't say, I beg you to believe a new set of religious beliefs. I beg you to understand a new set of doctrines and dogmas. No, he says, I beg you to actually do something. I beg you to put this into play. I beg you, I charge you, I commend you to put this reality into action. Did you know that following Jesus is not just about what we believe and what we know, but it's actually about obeying and doing what Jesus taught. Did you know that? Let me tell you, right now in your life, if you're, if you're struggling like we all are with various things, the, the answer is not that you gather more knowledge so that you can go, well, the, here's the right answer. The answer is that you actually do what you know to do. You see, the problem for most people is not that they don't know enough. It's that they don't obey what Jesus said. Which is why when Jesus gave his disciples and gave us the Great Commission, he didn't say, go into all the world and make sure people correctly understand and perfectly grasp the theological, philosophical, sociological ramifications of this message that we call the gospel, which is established in the third book of the... That's not what he said. If you know the verse, this is what he said. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey. Obey. So I watched it and Husky fans are out, right? You got to learn to obey. You'll never forget it now, right? Jesus says it's actually about what you put into play. It's what you do. And Paul says, lead a life. He's talking about what we actually put into action. I know this will change your life. This will change my life. If we, if we stopped waiting our spiritual walk with God on our knowledge and we started waiting our spiritual walk on our obedience, everything changes. Because when you begin to walk like Jesus walks, you start asking better questions and your knowledge increases automatically as you're following Jesus, but your behavior changes, your inside your, changes your heart, and it's about obedience and saying, what do you want me to do with what you said, Jesus? Now, this word worthy that Paul uses here in the Greek language, when he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of this calling, this word is the word axios. 
And it simply means having the corresponding weight of another thing of like value. So Paul's saying, I want you to live this life that, that matches or corresponds to this calling that you've received. Now, i got a picture here for you. Uh, in honor of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is a great movie if you haven't seen it yet. Really fun. Uh, I love Indiana Jones. Bethany and I grew up uh, watching Indiana Jones. You know, it's awesome. That second movie is totally scary, but this one's really fun. <laughs> uh, the the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So in this, in this part of the movie, if you haven't seen it, it's the beginning of the movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones is in this temple in South America, and he's trying to get this gold idol statue type thing. And he's gone through all types of dangers and snakes and venomous things and people trying to kill him. And he's here in this moment and he sees there's all these traps and there's this stone plinth that this thing is on and this little thing here. And he, he has to match the weight of this golden statue. So he does this little like, and he switches it, right? You remember this part of the movie? And that's the exact idea of what Paul is saying here. That you have this calling in God. It's freedom. It's forgiveness. It's family of God. It's what the gospel represents. And then you have your life here and your life weight. The, the weight of your life needs to match the weight of that calling. And maybe you hear me say that and you go, well, what about grace? Like what, what about that, you know, we can't earn our way to God and all of that? Well, that's not what Paul's talking about here, okay? I want to be clear. Because if he was saying that we earn our approval from God or we earn our standing with God, then he would be completely contradicting what he already said earlier in the book of Ephesians. I mean, just look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul unequivocally states, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We say, Amen. Here's the reality of the gospel and what Paul's getting at here. Everything good that we do for God comes from the good that God did for us in Christ by grace. But, again, the good news is not just something you believe. It's not something you just intellectually grab hold of and change the upstairs part. It actually needs to trickle down from your head into your heart and into your hands and into your feet. That the reality and the weightiness of the gospel should impact what we do. Now, do we earn our way to God because of what we do for him? No. But the real gospel is going to bring transformation in the internal man, inside of us and through our lives. And so the gospel is not just this idea of how to get to heaven when you die. It's how God gets heaven into you and then through you and then into the world around you. And this is a really important thing to understand because this is core gospel understanding. Now, I call this God's cosmic remodeling project. You see, God was looking at the earth, and he was like, fix it or flip it. <laughs> exactly, right? He looked, he was like, fix it or flip it, right? How many of you are glad that he chose fix it, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, so God said, okay, uh, bus driver, move that bus, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't even know what's happening, right? I wish I'd, I don't watch those shows. I've heard some people do, but anyways, God chose to fix it. God's cosmic remodeling project is that he sees with even grander and clearer eyes than we do the brokenness, the fallenness, the evil, the suffering, the abuse, the injustice, the racism, the, the, all of it, all the, 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 the noise, the nonsense, the pain, the suffering, all of it. And he sees the brokenness of our world. He sees it's 
the brokenness inside of us, the brokenness in our institutions and the brokenness even in our own internal world. And he chose to do something about it by sending Jesus. Okay, But that was not the end or the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story was that God made something good to begin with. And like we learned in Ephesians chapter 2, that he created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. God wanted to get it back to the original form. And so he sent Jesus. And when you receive Jesus, and Jesus comes and is on the inside of you, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you aren't just now going to heaven when you die. You now become part of Team Jesus on planet Earth in your generation to bring heaven to Earth right now and begin to do the remodeling project right now. You see, it doesn't surprise me that many people don't want the gospel because they don't understand the real gospel. And Christians, oftentimes we offer people a watered-down, kind of weak version of the gospel. Because here's what we've sold people uh, as the the church in America for a long time. We've said, hey, we're going to tell you that if you change your beliefs and if you're sitting in a church service and somebody's playing the piano and you raise your hand, then now you get to go to heaven when you die. And we're like, yay! And then what we actually all know, even us as Christians, is most of the time life is hell. So what this has created is this sort of idea that's like, okay, I live in a world that looks like hell, feels like hell, I feel like hell, and most of the time I treat people like hell. Um, But I raised my hand in a church service 25 years ago, and so I'm saved, so I get to go to some place in the sky and be a naked fat baby playing a harp. (laughs) Sweet. And I guess that's better than going to hell. But honestly, not much better. I mean, I've seen pictures of people playing cards in hell and stuff, you know, smoking and stuff I've always wanted to do, but I couldn't because I grew up in church, you know. (laughs) People got tattoos in hell. (laughs) Devil's playing rock and roll. I'm kidding. Some of you are deeply offended. Don't worry. We're going somewhere with this. We're going somewhere with this. It does not surprise me that people don't want that kind of a gospel. Here's how to get to heaven when you die. Because we know internally it's not fixing what's happening right now. It doesn't actually do anything for me. It's just some sort of future abstract concept. And actually it's not even in the Bible. So Jesus wasn't walking around being like, if you believe in me, then you get to go to heaven when you die. Actually, he never says that. What he says is the kingdom of heaven is here. So when he put his foot down, people could hear the demon start to scream a little bit and hell started to get put on alarm because now there's a war and things are about to change right now, not just in the future. You see, the gospel actually goes to the past, to the present, to the future. And here's the real gospel, that the freedom and the forgiveness and the family of God that invades your life begins to recreate and renew and restore and change things so that you stop feeling like hell, so you stop living like hell, and you stop treating other people like hell, and heaven actually gets a foothold on earth. Come on, and so a Christian, when they wake up in the morning, goes, man, there's a battle raging on the inside of me to pursue what I want to do apart from Christ. There's a battle on the inside of me that wants to fight my brothers and sisters, but there is a clarion call, a trumpet sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm saved and he's making me new. And today I get to bring heaven to earth right through my life right now today. That's a good gospel. Come on. And you go, what about heaven? (laughs) Heaven's going to be amazing. I don't know much about heaven. All I know is we're going to be able to turn invisible and fly. That's all I know. 
That's all I know. Now, in all seriousness, I don't mean to diminish heaven. I mean to, I mean to make much of what heaven will be by expressing that God wants to start that process today. And the beauty of heaven, when there is no separation between us, and we're not caught up in ego and insecurity, and we're not abusing each other and being abused, and we're not divided by race and divided by uh, socioeconomic and divided by politics, but we have one king and one unity is a beautiful future reality. And the beauty of this is that in the church of Jesus Christ, when we embrace the real gospel and live the real gospel that Paul's talking about here, we actually start it today. You see, right now I live in a beautiful house and Ed and his awesome crew came in and remodeled our kitchen, you know, last uh, couple summers ago. And so when we walk into our heavenly kitchen, it's amazing. But then we still have these other rooms. <laughs> and we're like, somebody should do something about this. <laughs> See, the beauty of the Christian life is you get to live in a house that's being remodeled. And there's parts of me right now that I go, oh, please, I'm going to keep the door shut when nice people come to my house. <laughs> I don't want anybody to go in there. Right, Evie? <laughs> How many of you all pile stuff up in parts of your house, right? And you have guests over and then there's like one door and the whole family's looking at it nervously. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. No, we love like that Marie Kondo lady. We're all about that. So much joy. So clean. But you know, if they open that one door, man, like it's going to, somebody's going to die. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's an avalanche of stuff. Isn't that what it feels like to be a Christian sometimes? You come to church. How are you doing? See, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Bro, we saw you flipping people off on the belt line on the way here. <laughs> you ever tailgated somebody and called them a bad word on the way to church and then you pull in together? <laughs> no, it wasn't me. No, I was just testing your faith, bro. Because we're in the middle of a remodeling project and God's doing that not just in your heart but in the whole world. He's remodeling and remaking and renewing and that's the gospel. And so people don't want the false gospel. They don't want the gospel of the sanitized little tiny, you know, soundbite gospel that doesn't actually have very much power for the real world and real life. The real gospel was attractive to real sinners. When you went, man, I'm like, I'm destined for hell. And I suck. And I live like hell. And then Jesus comes on and goes, now grace actually means something. Now God's forgiveness means something. And so Paul is not saying, he's not saying when you live a life worthy that you've earned it. No, what he's saying is you received something so weighty that now your life gets to look like that. I beg you, let it match. And then he talks about what that actually means because in verse two, guys, we've only done one verse. Okay, I'm sorry, one verse. In verse two, Paul says, always be humble and gentle and patient and make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. When Paul actually tells us what it means to live a worthy calling, to live, lead a, a worthy life that's worthy of the calling, he doesn't talk to us about our doctrine. He doesn't talk to us about how we worship and do we lift our hands at like half-mast? Are we like a Presbyterian worshiper? Are we a Baptist worshiper? Are we full charismatic? You know what I mean? He doesn't, he doesn't actually say that. What he says is how do you treat each other? Does God's love actually infiltrate your life so that now you begin to treat your brothers and sisters the way Christ would treat them and the way Christ is. Because we talk about 
Paul talks about Jesus in Philippians and how he is. He's humble, he's gentle, he's meek, like the fruits of the Spirit. And so he says, be humble, be gentle, be patient. This is what our call is and how to, how to match the worthiness of the gospel is that we begin to treat other people how Jesus would treat them. And we begin to treat each other in this way. I don't have time to give justice to talk about these things, but humility, what a beautiful thing. It's so magnetic when someone is humble, when they could be proud, but they're humble and they treat you with kindness and they're gentle. Like the scripture says, a, a gentle word turns away, a soft word turns away wrath. Patience, what a beautiful thing. You know, in the church that we take the time to actually look somebody in the eyes and say, tell me your story and what's going on in your life and what's happening. And then this, this word about making allowance for each other's faults, or in the ESV it says bearing with one another in love. What Paul's saying here is you got to put up with each other because you love each other, but also you need to put up with each other because that's what love does. See, my kids sometimes get on my nerves. Bethany and I will be in the car and Evie, close your ears. This is, I don't want to embarrass you here. But <laughs> sometimes, I'm teasing, sweetie. <laughs> sometimes my kids go, mom, 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 or dad, 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 dad. You know, and it's like, can we stop that, please? Sometimes I'm looking into my son's eyes, literally looking in his eyes, and he's still saying my name. And I'm like, you, you have my attention, all of it. And it's grading. And, and there's other things I'm sure I'd grade on them. I, I'm not going to ask them because... I'm the dad. But anyways, <laughs> in my finer moments when I'm living like Jesus, what I would hope is that I, I would embrace and love them even in the moments when they're not doing what I want them to do or they're getting on my nerves. And the reality of love is that it's not about the moment of disagreement or the moment of dissatisfaction or the moment of temporary displeasure. It's about the fact that I want my kids around me because of who they are and that I love them, not just today, but for the future. The relationship is more important than the moment. And so when it comes to the family of God, why would it be any less than that? Why in God's family would it be like, well, my joy group leader. <laughs> Pastor Jake, you know, Pastor Bethany, she didn't say, she didn't greet me, you know, the way I wanted to be greeted. We get really upset and miffed and mad about stuff. And if you hang around Joy Church for more than two weeks, you will get offended. I'm not joking. I say, people always say, oh yeah, our church offends people. No, like this church is offensive. And I'll tell you why. Very often people will come to me and say something. And I'll be like, that was kind of offensive, to be honest. They're like, you're pretty, uh, you're pretty tall for a fat guy, you know? <laughs> I'm teasing. Nobody said that to me. I just had to come up with something. just want to head it off at the past. In all, in all honesty, people in church, we say stuff. You don't even mean to offend people, and you, you offend. It's going to happen because we're all human beings here in God's cosmic remodeling project. And what Paul's saying here is, look, how do you lead, lead a life worthy of your calling? You, you put up with each other because that's what love does because your relationships and what God is doing in and through you is more important than your temporary moment of comfort or discomfort. He goes on in verse 3. He says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And make a couple comments here and we'll close. This, this verse, I mean, I could do a whole sermon on it, and I won't. But Paul, he says, Unity is to be per, per, pursued. Unity is to be treasured. Make every effort. Do anything possible to keep unity. Why? Because hell wins when we're, when we're in disunity. The devil gets involved when we begin to 
fract, you know, create fra- uh, factions and when we begin to tribalize and all this kind of stuff, he says binding yourselves together with peace. But here's the reality. Our unity and our peace are only because of what God has done for us in Christ. Our unity is only because of the Holy Spirit and our peace is only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Think about what the blood of Jesus did. The blood of Jesus made us friends with God where we were enemies of God. So the blood of Jesus brought peace where there was enmity. The blood of Jesus brought unity where there was division. Also, the blood of Jesus unites us as people. It doesn't just unite us with God. It unites us as people. Jesus, uh, uh, Paul in Ephesians 1 through 3 talks at length about the, the, the tribalism and the, the, the factions of the Jews and the Gentiles. And he speaks in Ephesians 1 3 at length about how God decided to bring the Gentiles in. It wasn't just for the Jews. You got to understand the cultural context that Jews and Gentiles was like cats and dogs, oil and water at each other. Like you can't get a, a stronger division than this. And yet it was brought together. That division was healed and unity was, was, was created and peace was restored because of the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians 2, he says, you've been united with Christ once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. The mark of the church should not be disunity. It should be great unity. The mark of the church should not be uh, war. It should be peace. We're at war with hell. We're not at war with each other. Later in Ephesians 6, Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness in this present age. This verse and this this truth about the unity and the peace and where it comes from is why all human endeavors to peace fail if Jesus Christ is not at the center. That's why I love the local church because in this room we're not united because we all voted for the same person. We're not united because we all live on one side of the railroad tracks. We're not united by the color of our skin. Our peace is not because we all agree perfectly about exactly what the Bible says about every nitpicking area of doctrine. Our peace comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. Our culture, whatever we, culture we came from, black, white, anybody else, Italian, Chinese, Hispanic, wherever we come from, those are beautiful cultures, but they're always second to the culture of the cross. Those who were brought near and kneel before the cross of Jesus and say, I'm in a new family, I'm in a new culture, and I hold to my right and my left somebody of a different color, somebody from the other side of the railroad tracks, somebody from a different political party, and we're together in Christ, and that's where our peace and our unity comes from, and we're to endeavor to remain in this position. Can I tell you right now, it's, it's really hard to see all the problems if your head is bowed before Christ and your eyes are upon Jesus. It's hard to see the differences, and it's hard to get caught up in all the things that don't really matter when you're just together worshiping the Savior and receiving what he has for us. And so we live in a culture that says, look, what you need to do is you need to get smarter about equality, and you need to understand the nuances of how you're supposed to treat my culture, and I'm Italian-American, and you didn't say, manja kutsukotsa, so you, 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 you didn't like, love me, you didn't receive me. And Jesus goes, wait a second, all that stuff is, matters, and your culture's beautiful, but actually if you come to the cross... That becomes the primary culture, and we're all in it together. And all human endeavors at peace and unity fail if Jesus is at the center. But because of Jesus and his blood that was shed for us, we, the church, can be a living, breathing embodiment of peace, living together, united, not because of our skin color, bank account balance, or political affiliation, but because of the blood of Jesus. And Paul says, for there is one body, one spirit, 
just as you've been called to one glorious hope. In other words, there's no segregation in heaven, right? No railroad tracks in heaven. One glorious hope for the future. Five, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Unity and peace by the blood of Jesus. That's why the church matters. You know, the Red Cross doesn't have this. The, the Republican Party doesn't have this. The Democratic Party, whatever race or skin color or whatever you come from, no. It's only found in the family of God. Real unity, real peace. And we cry out for that. Our hearts want it, don't they? You want to see racial unity in our country? Lead people to Jesus. You can't be a Jesus follower and be a racist. You can't be a Jesus follower and be an abuser. You can't be those things. You're transformed. You're new from the inside out. When heaven gets a hold of you, hell has to flee. Come on, somebody. So, in conclusion, boiling down Paul's challenge to us to five words. For God's sake, get along. For heaven's sake, get along. <laughs> For the gospel's sake, love each other, get along. No, in all seriousness, because of the incredible weight, worth of the freedom, forgiveness, and family that we have in Christ, match that worth to how we treat each other in the family of God. Our calling is to be the church, the body of Christ, to live like Jesus lived, love like Jesus loved, and to be a living, breathing demonstration of the truth and power of the real gospel. And I'll leave you with the words of Jesus. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that it would be good seed, go into good soil, bear fruit in our lives. Jesus, we want to lead a life worthy of your calling, the beautiful freedom, forgiveness, and family that you brought to us. You got it to us. I pray you'd get it through us and that through us you would change the world. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that faith would rise in every heart, that we would respond to this, and it wouldn't just go in one ear and out the other, but that we'd grow in this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, go ahead and bow your head real quick. Close your eyes. If you're here today and you go, Pastor Jake, I am not a part of the family of God. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Uh, I don't think I can preach the gospel better than that. Maybe I can. I'll try. But honestly, you heard it. Freedom, forgiveness, family. You can make a decision today. I want to be a part of that. I want to join God's remodeling project. I want to begin to be part of the solution, not just part of the problem, but he needs to start that work inside of your heart. Before he changes your family, he's got to change you. Before he changes your school, he's got to change you. All of us have to come to the cross and say, Jesus, I'm in. I, I need you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Just lift it up. I'm going to pray with you. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Come on. Awesome. Anybody else here today? Just lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. What a great day to become a Christian. Anybody else? Anybody else? Lift it up. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. Thank you. Let's pray together. Repeat after me. All of us pray together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I put my hope and trust in you. I ask you to save me. Thank you for the cross where you gave your life for me and made me right with God. I give you my life today. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.